All right, tastes like fried chicken promo. Jesus Christ. Oh my god, come the fuck on. Broadcasting from a state of nearly crippling euphoria because I just interviewed Don fucking Barris. This is Taste Like Fried Chicken. Another heater from the burner, sparking light of fluid. If you could find a crew that's any how to find the do it. Now what kind of music echoes through the catacomb? Home is where the heart is, so the heartless never had a home. Hey, you just stumbled onto something like amazing. Chicken, November 23rd, 2013, and I cannot tell you how excited I am about this show. I just interviewed Don Barris. If you don't know who he is, um, you probably will after the end of this, and you will know after the end of this also that he's a huge, uh, well, kind of a hero uh, to me, the way he works and, and the material he produces. I fucking really enjoy his shit, and uh, he has been around the comedy store in L.A. for years and knows a whole lot of people who are kind of uh, famous, to say the least, and uh, he took the time to come onto my show, our show, Tastes Like Fried Chicken, <coughs> and uh, so did Mary Jane Green, his uh, complicated relationship friend, uh, who is also a cast member uh, and a producer and uh, top model, of the model and just, wow, Mary Jane's awesome. They both are. It's, it's phenomenal that they came on our show and uh, talked to me. Um, we just, uh, yeah, okay, that's enough of that. They're fucking awesome, uh, and you will hear that. We are presented by the Chonilla.com network. Thank you, Cloven Shirley. As always, uh, we would not be here without you. Check out their website, uh, Chonilla.com, and check out our website, um, TastesLikeFriedChicken.com. You can read our show notes. You can get our episodes. You can listen to them on the uh, website directly or you can download them. Um, really proud of it. I have to say, it's a very simple website, but uh, it's what we wanted. Um, Chill is at Chill in Miami. Tweet her about what she's doing with her lazy ass on vacation. Get out of that stank and into some podcasts. No, I don't do that. Uh, and I'm not saying stank uh, for reals. That's a joke. I hope no one's really offended. Um, what the fuck? Where did this go? Okay, uh... <laughs> My Twitter is at Captain O-Dog. The show's Twitter is at Owen and Chill. Our uh, email is Owen and Chill at gmail.com. Um, please support the network. Uh, share with fo folks. Uh, tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about Chonilla. Um, we have premium going. There's all sorts of exciting shit happening at the network. Uh, and... Um, Welcome and thank you to all the new listeners and everybody please support Dawn's Fund Anything account. You'll hear the details in the show. Enjoy. Hello? Mr. Dawn Barris, please. Who's this? Uh, this is Owen from Tastes Like Fried Chicken. Oh, hello, Owen. How you doing, man? doing okay how are you i'm really good i'm really glad i'm glad you could take the time to talk to me tonight it's uh really exciting to have you on the show and um i was like going through you know ari shafir shows and other places i've heard you trying to think of a, an intro for you because your stuff is so unique and 
what really comes across listening to you know other LA podcast uh, comedians and and you know various people from uh, the comedy store is uh, you seem to have the reputation of having a, just a huge cock uh, like a, just a massive hog. Is that accurate? Well, what a way to open the show with me. Uh, yeah, I'm very proud of that huge cock. I guess. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't really know if that's like what I want to hang my hat on, but <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. Well, I mean, if your hat won't fit, then, you know, I can see why you would not want to yeah. do that. I'm sorry, Don. I'm just fucking with you, but I, uh, seriously, like have been a fan of yours since, um, I think the first place I heard you was Ari Shafir, actually the road rage episode. Very cool. Uh, and Ari uh, is. Ari is one of the best people at the comedy store. The comedy store is like a playpen for comics and unlike any other comedy club. And Ari is truly, truly one of the fun people because he knows how to play the golden rule of improv, which is you never deny. Ari is great at that. So. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. See, I only know him from podcasts, of course, being up here in Halifax. Oh. But uh, that's Alex, awesome. Where's that? Where's that located? I don't need to. Uh, oh, no that already know. <laughs> Nova Scotia, Canada. Way the fuck Nova over. Scotia. That's way up there, isn't it? Yep. Holy smoke! Yeah, yeah. You over know, I, on the eastern coast. I knew, I knew that you were Canadian, but you know, uh, and but probably my Cambridge, Ontario, is not really the. Uh, like a comparison, not even near Nova Scotia. <laughs> no, not uh, really. When I was a kid, we used to have in my hometown of Saginaw Township, Michigan, we used to have like a mini Olympics every year where we would alternate, go to Cambridge, Ontario, or uh, they'd have it in Saginaw. So oh, yeah. I'd go every year to Cambridge. Are you familiar with Cambridge at all? Um, no, not specifically. I lived in Ottawa for a while, so I've seen a fair amount of Ontario, but not, not Cambridge. Yeah. It's right on the border, is it? Uh, it's fairly close, but, you know, not right on the border. Yeah, I'll tell you, I have a real love for Canadians. It just seems like, and, I, and I'll tell you this, and I've gone through numerous people that I've met, it always seems Canadians are the nicest people. <laughs> you know, I remember as a kid going up to Cambridge, um, a lot of hatred towards the Yanks, but all in all, very good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, we can be. We There's a lot of douchebags up here, too, I have to say. I'm sure there is. I'm <laughs> sure there is. So um, you've mentioned before that you love the fall. Uh, did you ever hunt when you were up here? You know, I'll tell you something. I never did hunt. I remember, you know, in Michigan, deer hunting was just the thing that everybody, I mean, the world of Michigan would close down during the first day of deer hunting season, but I never got into it. Yeah. Uh, kind of like in college, we'd go smelt dipping. It's very funny. I, I, it seemed like when I was in Michigan, everybody would smelt dip. Uh, what is are that? you familiar with smelt dipping? No, no. Well, smelt dipping is when like all the smelt would go upstream to, uh, to mate, and basically you would put in the net, and you would get 30 smelt each time you dip your net, and the big, it was kind of like a drinking thing, you put it in beer batter, and you would uh, fry it right there, so that was smelt dip, it was more of a beer game, oh, I nice. did do a little of that at one point, 
but not really a big hunter. No. Well, it's that time of year here. I'm an electrician apprentice, and um, all the guys I work with are talking about shooting deer and what they've got this year, so I thought I might mention it. Um, so, like, the big reason I wanted to have you on is you have a Fund Anything account, and I've mentioned it on the show before, but um, it's have for... You really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally, man. I, I'm telling you, like, I the when I started listening to the Ding Dong Show, I think the first first podcast was the ding dong show where um jessica uh and tennessee broke up and she's talking about it and it was the right. most i mean like i think i tweeted about it at the time it's one of the most like touching and just wacky and undescribable like it's hilarious but it's also so profound like you really get into these people's lives who you'd never meet otherwise and um, right. since then, I've just been hooked, man. And 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 the Perry Project stuff is, uh, it's it really blows my mind. It's there is no category to put it in. You try to describe it, it's like, well, well it's not reality TV because that I'll needs something this. else. We've been working with Perry for over twenty one years now, and in a way, when we started, it didn't hit at a big level. But we we started a reality show before reality shows were anything. And where most reality shows are the type of things where, hey, here's the script, Ozzy Osbourne, here's what you'll do today. You'll you'll be you'll be upset with your son your high. Yeah. You know, it was like everything was set up, all those shows. But we really did a reality show and because Perry is a real person and we've been doing that for over 21 years. And when you said, say to fund anything, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, have you ever seen the movie Windy City Heat? I have, yep. I enjoyed it. Yes. That was, uh, we just, uh, to try to draw attention, we started a fund anything account because what we wanted to do, the last three, a little over three years now, we've been doing a podcast, first on Adam Carolla's network, and then we do one from uh, my new Simply Down the Podcast Network. We've been doing that for a couple of years. And what we've actually done is we wanted to kind of see, to wrap it up. We wanted, because 21 years is a long time. We That's did a, a, time. a movie that people, you know, uh, Jimmy Kimmel produced it. I don't know if you know that. And because of that, he turned on a lot, a lot of celebrities, right. which is absolutely good. So, Huge people would come up to us just to talk about the movie Windy City Heat. So I kept thinking, we got to do something else with this besides the podcast, because as I'm sure you know, and uh, you don't make a lot of money in the podcast world. No. no. Um, are you making any at all, by the way? Oh. Hey, Don, how's it going? Very good. Good. Is that coming through better for you? Yeah, it's coming through a lot better. I don't know what happened there. Just, I mean, I literally could hear like, I, 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 so anyway, <laughs> let's get back to what we were talking about. Um, I believe you, everything came through on this end, by the way. We could hear you great. Um, the uh, right. fact that I'm, we're basically hobby podcasters at this point. Like, it's just, it's the, a way that I get to talk to cool people that uh, run podcasts and shit. So we don't make any money at all, but we do have a network that has uh, just gone premium. So hopefully in the future. So how are you? Uh, so how does how's your show going? 
How many listeners do you have? Things like that. Um, we've been going for about a year. We've got 34 episodes up, and we have about six to 800 regular listeners, uh, downloads, Very something like that. Cool. So it's pretty well, awesome. Hello to those, let's say hello to those six to eight hundred people. Yeah, yeah, they're fucking you know, awesome. They tweet us uh, a lot. Sorry, Don, what were you saying? Think, when I'm in Nova Scotia, I always listen to Owen. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, man. Um, so let's talk about um, about. That's funny. That came out so strong. Um, the uh, big three. Where it all started, uh, what was sort of the very first time you looked up and thought, wow, this could be something? Well, I'll tell you the truth. It was like uh, I had been in doing stand-up for a while, and I one thing seemed to always go with the other thing. I was trying to get spots at the comedy store, and I wasn't getting a lot. And I noticed the people that were were people that had done something on TV, even if they were like kind of famous from doing a lot of commercials. Right. Uh, I had a friend that had won a couple of Clio awards and he started, you know, which is the best actor in the commercial. He, they gave him a couple, he won a couple of Clios and he seemed to be getting spots. So I thought, what can I possibly do? And at the time, the thing that I was doing a lot was every week I was hosting the comedy store pop book, right. which is where, comics can go up and do the three minutes. And during those days, the show would go on a Sunday from seven to like two in the morning. Wow. So it was a two marathon and it was people going up every three minutes. Oh my God. And, oh yeah. It was just, and I was the MC of that and it was just <laughs> insane. But what I noticed that there were a lot of regular comics that would come there, that let's just say that they were really colorful. Right. And they were, but there was like an energy to them. And I thought, you know, I'll bet you if I hooked into this. And so at first I did a, a show with a group of people and I had a few people that were playing characters. But one of the guys that I met was a guy by the name of Scary Perry Caravello. And he seemed to stand out from the rest. And when the show got really, really crazy, uh, I realized, like, I wasn't, the ownership was like, what's this madhouse that's going on here? <laughs> and so they weren't really behind it. So what I did is I took a, the show from the comedy store and I started putting it on public access. Well, at the time that we did public access show, we were doing it for like seven years of doing this. And then Jimmy Kimmel, when he had just gotten the show, Win Ben Stein's Money, he was basically a radio guy out here in Los Angeles. And he only did the sports on a morning radio show now. But anyway, he, uh, he saw it and said, boy, I got to do something with you on this. Well, it took him a few years, but he put together. And finally, as he st his star started to rise, he kept pushing this because he had such a great time with it. And he, as he said many times, this is the most fun I've ever had in show business. <laughs> that is fantastic. And that's when he oh, wasn't, yeah. that's when he was like uh, the early part is when he was really not famous yet. Right. Like that. He right. wasn't struggling right. at that point. He was, and I, he would come on, he and his cousin Sal would come on our show on our public access show. And he would play the announcer that couldn't do anything right. And his cousin Sal, who's now on Jimmy Kimmel live, 
would play our DJ. So it was like <laughs> kind of a insane type of thing. Wow. Do you have the old the old tapes of that? Yeah, we've got we've got it all. Oh, we've awesome. got everything. Nice. Are There's you going to be releasing from, that at some point? Uh yeah, we're gonna try to do a lot of that stuff. And nice. that's Trying to like I said, we uh, earlier we're trying to build and we're trying to make a reality show right now yeah. because we've done a movie, we've done a podcast, and we have some pretty fanatical podcast people. We actually had a uh, to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the movie Windy City Heat coming out. We had a four day event here called the Windy Weekend, where uh, one night we did a, a podcast from the comedy store, the next night. Jimmy rented out a theater. We had like 700 people come to that. They were just fanatical. <laughs> they dressed as characters for the podcast and the movie. Oh, then man. Sunday we had we had a chili cook-off at Perry's apartment. Then we did, and it isn't even out yet, but I'm, you said you're a fan of Death Squad. Yeah. The Death Squad Ding Show had Perry on, and Mo couldn't make it, but we it was just insane. Oh, awesome. It was just And that's still going to come out very soon, because... But anyway, so but what we're trying to do right now is we're trying to build a reality show. And I was thinking, because all along, there were so many huge directors and huge actors that basically could click their fingers and make a show happen. Right. So I thought, okay, we'll draw attention to the thing with our Windy Weekend show, and then we'll try to do a fundraiser and kind of let people know that we're interested. So we're just about done with our fundraiser, probably by the time this airs. When does this air, by the way? Um, I'm going to put it up either tonight or tomorrow. Great. Um, probably tonight, actually. Monday or Tuesday, uh, the 25th or 26th, is our last day on Fund Anything. So we're trying to raise some money to put a reality show together. And the reality show we were hoping at the beginning would be a, a show that would come down to our journey towards our sequel movie. Well, right. we're not saying that that isn't going to happen, but we sure aren't going to do it through our fund anything. <laughs> that's that's really a shame. I, I, yeah, I feel bad about that. But I oh. have to say, just from my point of view, for our fans, uh, knowing my sense of humor and chill sense of humor, I truly believe that a bunch of our fans would be diehard um, big three oh. and ding dong show fans. I really think your sense of humor and that, because when you say you did a reality show before reality shows, I don't like to call your work this a reality show because reality shows have that script. You do something better than that. It's like off the cuff. You are using people's real personalities to make humor like it's it's amazing you have this you find somebody that you can sort of not train but like highlight showcase whatever and then you know the way you guys can bring out the crazy in perry week after week with the exact same set of approaches just it's just brilliant and it's um i think our fans would love it and and i really encourage anybody who can to to hit these guys with money don't bother donating to us if you can put in on this because that reality show would be fucking awesome sorry don what were you saying well i'll tell you this if if you could then you know we're like i said we're trying to get as much money right now as we can because we're going to make a pilot you know we might have to, instead of raising the money ourselves what we're going to do is we're going to put a reality show pilot out there and we're going to film it ourselves. We've made some money off the fund anything, and that's the reason every penny counts. So if your fans really like 
a different type of comedy that's real. And I mean, it's, you know, a lot of women don't go crazy about it, but it's definitely a guy's show. Uh, go to fundanything.com and under the campaign name, the Big Three Project, you know, you can make a, a donation there. And, you know, and on Sunday, and I have, you say you're putting it up tonight. So Sunday, tomorrow, we're recording this on a Saturday. If you, We're doing a Mary Jane, who's part of the Ding Dong Show, and she's also a producer on the, the Big Three podcast as well as the Ding Dong Show podcast, and she's a cast member there. She is celebrating her birthday on Sunday, and so what everyone's kind of doing, all the fans are putting at least $5 in as a donation is for Mary Jane's birthday. And Mary Jane is, like I say, part of the Ding Dong Show. She's here with me now. Say hi to Mary Jane, Owen. Oh, wow. Hi, Mary Jane. Hello. I'm a huge fan, I'd like to say. I really enjoy your stuff, especially the last two uh, Big Three podcasts. Your mole plays have had me dying. The dick juice and the uh, uh, yelling at Kennedy. Oh, my God. What do you do this week? You do something on, oh, well, well, well actually, well, we haven't done it yet. Come to think of it. Yeah. I forgot because we're doing a, we're recording a show tomorrow on her actual birthday. So we're actually celebrating her birthday right now. I'm, as I'm talking to you, we've got some special little things for Mary Jane that she doesn't even know about. Oh, wow. But, uh. Happy birthday. I'm definitely uh, going to be putting my five bucks in for sure. All right. <laughs> oh, no so, problem. yeah, and the Ding Dong Show, as you know, if, for people just catching up, I think they still have a bunch of them up on Death Squad because we have Red Band who's helped us out with that, and we're on Death Squad with him. And I'll tell you, that's just, you know, like I said before, we, we've been doing the Perry Project for, like, over 21 years. And from the time that... And we've been doing our podcast with the big three, with Perry, Mole, myself, for over three years now. And right out of the box, because it was a Death Squad show, we had more listeners than we ever had on our regular podcast. Death Squad is a powerful podcast network for yeah. sure. Red Band's amazing. He's one of those people I'd love to get a chance to talk to, like with the just like changing the game, you know. The it's awesome. It's it's really cool to hear you guys out there. He's the only person I can think of who kind of also uh, does original, like really original material, you know, like with the shows about stand up, like uh, Kill Tony and what's the other one, Thunder Pussy. Ugh. <laughs> well, he and he's been doing it. You see, here's that's the crazy thing. When we went to, uh, at first we were in Adams Corolla's Ace Broadcasting for the first year of doing our Big Tree podcast. Right. And, and what we thought he was trying to do, I thought it was like a brilliant move because Adam Corolla has huge ratings. You know, he's always in the top five, but he recently, yeah. uh, like a, a, a couple years ago, set the record for the most downloaded amount of podcasts in the history, yeah. uh, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. So I thought what he was trying to do is bring in at the crest, at the beginning of the podcast world, what we're kind of facing right now, he was bringing in other shows. So instead of just having his show popular, he was going to create a network. That's what I thought he was doing. You know, yeah. then he kind of like, he didn't want anything. He just wanted his show and they, uh, 
ah, forget it. I don't want anything else here. <laughs> and so he kind of backed down a little bit. And now he has just his, his wife and his, his father, I feel, still think, has a show there. But what right. Red Band did is Red Band, off of Joe Rogan's success, started Death Squad. Yeah. Then all the fans, Joe Rogan started listening to Death Squad shows. And, you know, you were mentioning Ari Shafir earlier. I think that's his name. I, or it's Ari Shafir. Ari Shafir. I can't keep it straight. Yeah, I know. It's really hard. Uh, but he, uh, he showed what can be done because he took the fans that he got from doing Joe Rogan's podcast, then started a show on Death Squad, then left Death Squad to do his own show, but brought all those fans with him. And then he put out a comedy album and sold it on iTunes and had the number one comedy album in the world like two weeks in a row. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's just crazy what this podcast world can be. Yeah. And it's... Owen, in Nova Scotia, so for my money, you did the best podcast in all of Nova Scotia. Oh, I really appreciate that. I am a Halifax podcasting legend, so, uh, you know, I, that's very nice of you to say, Don. I really appreciate it. Um, do you have a few minutes to talk about your act and a few things like that as well, or are you pressed for time? Sure, absolutely. I'm not, I can talk a little bit, yeah. Well, I think my act really is... See, I, I absolutely can't stand stand-up comedy. <laughs> uh, from the aspect of it's so beaten and old when I got into stand-up I came out and it was like kind of like the last wave of something different happening in the stand-up world and what that was it was like at a time I came out to Los Angeles when Sam Kinison and, and Dice Clay were first hitting it and those are guys that you know at most comedy clubs couldn't even perform at <laughs> and it was kind of funny because I was lucky enough. I had seen Sam on like the Rodney Dangerfield. And I mean, that's a long time ago. That's in the eighties. Right. But when he, did, I got to meet him and hang out with him for a while. And then I got to tour with Andrew Dice Clay when he was doing some of his oh, arena wow. show. That must've been yeah, amazing. I got to open for him, but my job on that, you know, he was friendly with me. But I had a, a bizarre act. So what he told me to do, he had seen me sing a little bit, and I would go into all the emotion. So he'd have me open the show by singing songs. And my goal, <laughs> or what he wanted me to do, he wanted me to take all those fans of his that just booed anybody who took step a step on the stage right. and just go with them. So I would go out there and just purposely sing. I sang tie yellow ribbon around the old oak tree but I would do it with music and I mean the booze were just unbelievable <laughs> wow so that might be part and, of where you learned how to run a room the way you can like that just eating that kind of hate well I'll tell you something interesting and any young comic starting I'll tell you a really good thing and I learned this because when I was in college my whole approach to show business when I first started getting funny. I would DJ fraternity parties, sorority parties, weddings, and I found that if I would say something and try to be funny, you know, if it didn't work, I had a song ready to go. So I could try to be funny, but I had a crutch there. Right. Nobody really cares what the DJ's saying at these things. So I, I kind of learned there, but 
for a, a young comic, somebody who's getting into it, I would suggest emceeing shows because right. you get maybe a little bit of time to do your stand-up, but in between the bits, you're going up there and you're on the fly and you can say something funny. And so what I learned from that, because I used to emcee like the potluck at the comedy store and things like that, and I learned to just be free as can be. And what that did is it put me, because I could just improvise stuff and I learned to improvise, it got me jobs on as an audience warm-up. Right. And like right now, since because of the fact when Jimmy got his show, you know, because I had become his friend because of our meeting over the Windy City Heat and the Perry Project, he, I, for over almost 11 years now, I've worked as his audience warm-up. And yeah. I mean, that is like easy gig, but it's because I learned to be, I learned to think quick on my feet and I could be funny doing that. So I suggest to anybody trying to break into comedy at all, try to MC. Just try to get on stage and talk as much as you can because right. you never know how it can turn out. A lot of people hate MC. Yeah. I loved it. And you and say, in my brain, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. Well, my brand of comedy, I'm kind of anti-comedy. What I've tried to do, and my theory is I'll go up on stage and I purposely do things that could be funny if you looked at it through the eyes that I want you to see it, but it's so different than everyone else. I just try to control an audience's mind and, ha and lead them to where I want to go. My proudest moment, I think, was, you know, because I'll study an audience and I'll realize, okay, here's what I'm going to do here. And I have bits that normally would just turn someone off. I don't know. How, how much are you on language on here? <laughs> do not fucking worry about a single thing. Okay. Well, I have a bit where I, uh, this is something that kind of divides the men from the boys. This is something that I get into. It's just because it's so disgusting. It isn't funny, but if I can take somebody and make them laugh at this, it works. And there's, there's one thing that I use is a earmark for, for that. And if I go into this thing about finding out, and it depends upon how I'm working it, like, will I say that I know, like, if somebody says they're from some town, I, oh, that's where they like to, the women, isn't there a whorehouse there that the women let you stab them in the side and fuck the wound? Now, your first thought is, what the hell is this about? There is nothing funny about that. But my goal is to control an audience so they will follow, and then I go into that much deeper. But it's just like, what the hell is this idiot doing? But what I love to be able to do is to take that stupidity, gross thing, and because people are on board with me, they will laugh at it. And my crowning achievement was one time there was a minister, and I found out he was a minister, and I'll talk with an audience, and I'll, you know, at the comedy store, I go up last every single night. So if you're ever in Los Angeles and you want to see something bizarre, I go up, and sometimes I get up at 1 o'clock in the morning, Sometimes they don't get up until two, but I'll go an hour, an hour and a half sometimes. Yeah. And during that time, I will take the, the audience on quite a journey. And at one time, like I was saying, my crowning achievement 
was I one time had this minister there, and this minister was surrounded by people, let's just say, and you could tell that these women were church-going. Right. And when I did the stack the woman in the side routine, I had him pounding on a chair, and I thought, oh, my God. I set it up so good that even wow. he could see the ridiculousness of it. And that's what I try to do. I try to control an audience mind, because if you can do that, that'll work in acting, that'll work in anything you do. Right. Now, I have a theory just from uh, listening um, to, uh, you know, uh, like I said, interviews that you've done. Do you think that might be part of what Kinnison, and for those people who don't know, Sam Kinnison was a super huge, like beyond ridiculous huge comic uh, right when you started the comedy store, and he pretty much like ran the place as far as who was cool and who yeah. wasn't. Do you think that might be part of his issue with you, is that, that he, you can't have two guys around who can control people that way or who have that sort of charisma because i've i've definitely noticed other people in in other walks of life they don't like having another person like that around well i'll tell you something there it very well could have been because he immediately when i went there a girl that he was with i didn't know started taking a liking to me now he was on the road and when he came back he kind of had issues with it right so but a lot of comics kind of back me, saying, hey, this new guy's funny. He really is funny. Right. And thank goodness for that, because then instead of, like, you know, trying to completely ride me out immediately, he, uh, he tried to study me and see why people were taking his side. Plus, the guy was just coked out all the time. Yeah. I mean, and that paranoia. And back in the days of, of true, really, really, really good coke everywhere, like that's yeah. the eighties well, are just a different time that way. It seems like. Absolutely. And he was like, and I mean, it was like the comedy store was just an amazing place. It was right. The mid eighties was right when the comedy boom started. And I mean, there was like on the weekends at the comedy store, they had three main room shows, two original room shows, and then a show up in the belly room. And there was six shows that were packed and they would turn it around every Friday and Saturday. And there were people like, you know, at the comedy store at that time, people that were coming in on a regular basis, Kinnison, Dice. Uh, and because Kinnison, Robin Williams was there all the time. Uh, <laughs> at that time, I, and it was kind of for a comic learning how to do comedy. It was kind of like, a, they, they call the comedy store like a college. And at that time, Eddie Murphy, I remember the very first day he got on stage and he was saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to do another uh, movie, a comedy movie. And he introduced Robert Townsend, who was a regular at the comedy store. Yeah. And from the first time he went on stage with notes, you if you stayed at the comedy store every night, because he was there all the time, he created the movie Raw there. And we got <sighs> to watch it from the, the minute it started. But, I mean, Roseanne was there at the time. Arsenio oh, Hall. The way... Keenan and I, Keenan and uh, Damon Wayans. I mean, it was just so many people that turned out huge. Yeah, and it was such a great time, and it was such a a place to learn. You know, Bob Saget, who was like, you know, he became this super family guy who had like, oh, hey, I was on the wacky home video show. Hey, here's my family-oriented uh, 
network TV show. Yeah, but he he's a good stand-up, though, isn't he? Oh, he was a great stand-up. Yeah. And dirty as can be. Dirty as can be. <laughs> but, I mean, you got to see at that time, at one point before Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor was coming there when he was starting to get a little sick. And I'll tell you, yeah. it was really great because when Richard Pryor started making his appearances, it was like every black celebrity that you would that was around in L.A. was coming out there from Shaquille O'Neal to John Singleton to just all these people would yeah. come every night to watch uh, Richard Pryor. And I mean, just to kind of like, hey, salute you. You're the greatest. Yeah, well, just to get to see that guy in the flesh would be insane. Like, he's so incredible. Watching those old movies so that just oh, blows my mind. It's still, to this day, like, it doesn't get old to me. Like, his stuff... In a lot of ways, it's still no, relevant. no, 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 no. Because he was speaking from the heart, and here's a guy that was, you know, brought up by a prostitute. Well, the very cool thing is, and I, I don't know if you've ever heard of a comic by the name of Paul Mooney. Oh yeah, you've never heard of him. Love the Chappelle Show. Yeah, I mean, so if, yeah, he was in the Chappelle Show, but I mean, literally, he was not only a writer for Pryor. He helped Eddie Murphy. He helped, you know, they they. Actually, on in Living Color, they took a bunch of bits of his, like Homie the Clown and things like that, <laughs> and they eventually hired him as a writer on the show. And then, he, of course, he was on the Chappelle show. Yeah. I mean, this guy, his history in uh, comedy is unsurpassed. He's so and for fucking some reason, funny. Oh, oh he's, he's, he's great. And for some reason, he took a liking to me. As a matter of fact, his first album called Race, uh, he put me on the cover. I'm on the cover with him. <laughs> How cool is that? So, wow. Oh, it's just, Comedy Store was just an unbelievable place to learn. It isn't the same anymore, but, you know, it's still better than most comedy clubs. I know that Canada has tons of great comedy clubs. Yeah, Halifax, not so much. Although I shouldn't knock them, because I honestly don't have a lot of time to go out at night with uh, kids and all that shit. Living, we live out in the country, so it can be a chore to go in. I keep meaning to do it, but our club just isn't. I don't know. Whatever. It's. Oh, I know like, what you're saying. Yeah, and I mean, you say the comedy club isn't the same. Obviously, it isn't now. But you guys are still doing some really cool shit down there. Like, there's still great well, stuff that comes out of there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, no question about it. I mean, it, it's, you know, the great thing when I was talking about Ari Scheifer, Ari Shafir, I can't remember which. Yeah, me neither. Uh, he, uh, he is so fun. When, like, when we go there, late night became just this thing where I would play around with all these guys. I had a band. I, you know, and one of the things I used to do with Ari is we do this thing, Q&A. <laughs> where we would just have people question him, and he would try to educate people on Judaism. But it was ridiculous, you know, because, like, people would just get as evil as you could possibly get. Yeah. And, you know, like, people would have, where do you hide your tail? You know, and it would go <laughs> through this thing. And it was just, just, you know, uh, and it would go on, and there were people that have their regular questions, and it was just... People at first were just, what the hell is this? Because Ari was so good at playing it off. He'd always play it off like, okay, I understand. Okay, I've never heard that one. But yeah, okay, no, no, no. We don't have tails. That's our wallet. <laughs> and he actually used to be an Orthodox, like hardcore Orthodox Jew into his Absolutely. adult life. So he's the perfect Absolutely. guy for that. 
Oh, he, he was just, it was just great. It was, so when you talk about fun times, there's a lot of fun times. And thank goodness a lot of people uh, love to come late night when I'm on. So I, I seem to always kind of be the center of, uh, like, do you know who, uh, like, there's been sexual acts committed on stage in front of, I mean, it's just, it's a zoo. <laughs> it's a freaking zoo. Man, I really hope I get to check that out someday. It's it's a it's a dream to go and go down to the comedy store and check it out, for sure. Every night. Well, then, on every Monday, you know, you can come and see, if you're in town, come to see the Ding Dong Show. Uh, it's. You know, you, you mentioned Kill Tony. We They tape a Kill Tony, and then right after Kill Tony at 10 o'clock, we do our Ding Dong show. So it's kind of like a death squad night there on Mondays. Right. And, like, for people who aren't familiar with it, um, you said you use the phrase colorful people. I, I think that's accurate. I also think borderline and, in some cases, former mental patient is also accurate for a lot of the cast members. And I don't think, I, to tell you the truth, some of them, uh, maybe not patients, but mental problems. Yeah, definitely but people with like really, yeah, yeah, very interesting lives. Like, but you see, like some, like like Mary Jane, she's a she's a pinup model, so she brings in a different element, but she's she's got her own character. You know, and yeah. and I'll be the first to admit, I'm not crazy. I'm I'm a little crazy. Yeah. You know, so it's like I have a a band of people. Mary Jane, you were gonna say something. I was gonna say that the the, the mental patient comment or whatever, it's we generally we wouldn't discriminate against someone just because like schizophrenic surfer came up to us and the first thing he said was he was organically schizophrenic and he was sober off of crack for 10 years. Right. That's what he brought to the table and said. But, I mean, and if you look at clicky Hollywood circles and certain comedy things, you know, uh, people don't want to associate with that creative, fun person that wants to do show business. They right. want to be accepted. Yeah. So we don't discriminate. Yeah. In, in this Which show, is awesome. you, know, you know what you're getting. And you see the funniness of it to the point where there's like even hat crappy fucking comics like who who come in and steal the guys that I've put seven years of time into, and they just think they can come in there and take it and do exactly. Nobody can do what I've done. No. When you have a reality show, it's like a family. And that's what the Ding Dong Show has become to me, a family. And it's it's really amazing. And just so that I can clarify, I don't say mental patient as a pejorative term. I personally have had some mental health issues and talk about it on the show. So it's not like um, I mean that in a mean way. I just mean it as a descriptive for um, giving a feel of the show. But I guess it's kind of a dick term to use, really. Uh, so my apologies for that. No, 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 no. But I, I understand what you're saying. And this, hey, uh, let's just say this: there's a few people on our show that live their life through their medication. Yes, that's true. But let me tell you this: I don't take these people because, like, uh, there's some people that don't really look into this thing, and they don't really understand what's going on. Like, they, oh, you're picking on this guy. This guy's coming to your life. You're, you're, you're taking advantage of. Him. I'm not taking advantage of anything. These are people that try to do stand-up. They want to do it. 
and I see them, and I say, hey, I got a show for you. And then I find out about them, and then I teach them how to be funny. Because what happens is this. They don't know how to tell a joke, but they understand when they say this, they get laughs. And you do it in a way that is like actually building their abilities on stage because they don't have an option. Like if they got on stage just and did some stand up, they wouldn't get the uh, no, a chance to come back the next week. Time. And they wouldn't right. get the support from you. And they wouldn't get, you know what I mean? So for like, it really is totally unique and amazing. And it so sucks me in. Like it, I, I don't know um, why really, but like, just, you know, I really want Katie to be happy. I don't know why. I don't watch soap operas all the time. I don't know her from a hole in the ground, but I really want that to happen. Do you know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you something interesting about that. As I was saying before, I want to do a reality show with the big three. And part of the reason I want to do a reality show, because the Ding Dong show takes it to another level of, because like, for instance, you mentioned Katie. I, as I said, Mary Jane, she was a very, very big pinup model. She, uh, she actually had, there was a website that three years in a row uh, voted her legs the greatest legs in the world. So she was a, she's a very beautiful girl that had a very successful modeling career. Yeah. And she still does to this day. So she's got, she's a character. Katie Manzella, who you mentioned, her father was a huge agent. And he was a guy that actually, uh, he was... Uh, Pamela Anderson's manager. He was uh, uh, Jenny McCarthy's manager, and they had such a relationship that eventually broke her. She broke up Katie's father and mother because then this guy, her father, left Katie's mother for Jenny McCarthy and lived with her for God. years. God. Uh, and her her mother lost her virginity to Hugh Hefner and lived in the mansion for like years. Wow. So I mean. That's Katie. She's a. Uh, she's kind of like, and she kind of looks a little like Paris Hilton, and so she's kind of like this Hollywood girl that most people, you know, they don't re- relate to money, fame, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, she's had like guys like when she was when she was seventeen, Fred Durst from it was was chasing her everywhere, you know. Yeah. Try, you know, you know Fred Durst, don't you? I can't say I do. Sorry. He was popular like a decade or two oh, ago. He was at his hottest when uh, he was lurking around the mansion, you know, hitting on 17-year-old girls. Well, he's, <laughs> One he's, of those boy bands. One of those boy no, bands. No, it's not, not a boy band. It was like, uh, why, why can't I think of the... In Sync, In Excess. No, it's not In Excess. It was uh, like Fred Durst. Why can't I think of this? Uh, they had this song. Uh, he did the re- their first big hit was, yeah, did it all for the nookie. Uh uh, he, they, they were the ones that said Faith George Michaels hit, and they made it. Oh, okay, what? I know who you mean now. Yeah, for sure. Oh God! Well, he's the lead singer of that band. Right, right. I, I keep getting confused. I keep wanting to say Lincoln Park. It's not Lincoln Park. No. Why can't I think? Anyway, <laughs> I mean, so so this is her lifestyle. You know, uh, we have a guy. He's, he goes by the nickname the Schizophrenic Surfer. He loves surfing. And he was an unbelievably bad uh, drug addict. His mother 
was a very prestigious woman, was the first athletic director in the, the Pac-10. She was like the athletic director at the University of Washington. So this guy was a surfer that just got mixed up in drugs and never got out. Right. Well, now he's kind of on the drug scene, uh, but I mean, he lost all of his teeth. He, he went through a lot. But now, every Monday, he has a show where he's a star. Yeah. He's a star. Uh, the Armenian comedian who was a guy that uh, Jimmy brought to me, he was like a regular on K-Rock out here, which is a huge radio station in Los Angeles. And he was always on that show, and they'd always bring him up because he was just, he's an Armenian with absolutely no talent, but he <laughs> thinks he's the greatest singer, greatest comic. He thinks he's the most talented man alive, and he's terrible. And it's, it's kind of like... Oh, sorry, Don. Go ahead. No, he's like the worst person in the world. <laughs> he is like truly the bad guy. And I think he doesn't even realize that he's looked upon as the bad guy. He has no... Uh, it, it seems like he has almost no ability to see himself. Like Perry seems like that as well, the, where it's this blindness to their own flaws. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that uh, part of yourself that says, mm, that's not good. They just don't have it. Yeah, he doesn't have it at all. I mean, he'll, he talks about, he, he's a hairdresser for a living and his wife is a hairdresser too. And they, you know, they both work at different shops. The crazy thing he'll talk about, this is how silly he is. And I, and I do it every time I can. He'll talk about a story about sometimes when he's washing women's hair, he'll just kind of rub his dick against them. Oh man. And so you're listening to this and you're thinking, what a disgusting human being. But, and he does this every time. I say, and I'll ask him, you get hard, right? Oh, yeah, yes, many times I get hard. And so I'll, then I'll say, so where are you working now? What's the name of the place again? He'll give the name. And I'll always <laughs> say, what's the, what's, what's the phone number there? And I'll get, and just set a podcast. And <laughs> this is right after he's talked about basically raping a woman while she's getting her hair washed. Multiple counts of sexual assault recorded and admitted to. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And it really is, like, uh, fantastic the way um, the the story unfolds both in both shows. Like, that, it, it might not come across because very... I, I don't want to give away too much of the show, but, like... You can give away everything. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you one, one of the greatest things ever. Yeah, uh, we had a guy by the name of Tennessee Ernie Tuxedo who was there. Oh. Who's another guy who thinks he's got all the talent in the world. Yeah, and he left me because some guy who had done a movie with Sandra Bullock said that he could make him a star. And I said, "Well, you can't do this documentary movie. This is what I've brought to you. This is the material that I've given you. And now you're taking the material that I've worked with you for seven years, and you're going to go and do this in a documentary." And That's so, yep, I, um, I said, you got to make a choice. So I just got rid of him. But what he used to do is he would lie to people and tell these women, hey, I'm, I'm in this show. It's really big. I'm getting on Jimmy Kimmel Live, which I can't get on Jimmy Kimmel Live, yet he's <laughs> telling people that he can get them on Jimmy. So these girls trying to make it in show business would come out there and they'd come to our show. And so he'd bring all these girls. Recently, he brought this girl that was just spectacular. Months ago, he brought her in the show, saying that you can sing with me. And she's like a singer by the name of Jessica Shores. She's fantastic. She has, uh, 
you can go to, she's had a, she did a, a music video called Tech Tectonic that had over a million views. So look up Jessica Shores and see her video. Well, anyway, he brought her to the show. And I didn't know why she did it, because I think she just goes for it. She would say that she was in love with this guy, who might be the creepiest human being on the face of the earth. Uh, but he w- she would always say, oh, I'm in love with him, I want to marry him. Yeah. And he wouldn't go out with her, he wouldn't have sex with her until they got married, and he wouldn't get married to her until he sold his script for $30 mil- million. So it was delusional as hell. Oh, and creepy, well, anyway, man. The way he talked about cleaning her apartment. Sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah, oh, oh absolutely. You, you hit the, He is so creepy. But I think you, you mentioned it kind of a little bit before when you said, yeah, he, uh, when he broke up with her, he said, I can't take her drinking anymore. I got to get rid of her. And so she got drunk and just was saying, I want to fuck. I want to fuck. So I went down and got the biggest male slut I know, Jeff Richards, who <laughs> used to play Drunk Girl on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And he came up, took her, fucked her, uh, got her drunk on tequila. She says she doesn't remember anything else. And so it worked out on the podcast, this whole thing. Then, less than a month after this happened, she got married to some guy. And not any guy. A guy who will openly talk on a podcast about getting rammed with a dildo. That is, that's a few guys would do that, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it, it's it's like a piece of gold and she's perfect for the show. Yeah. Because she, her, her music video, it's, it's, it's not a multi-million dollar music video, but you know what? I know that in clubs, they like that kind of stuff. So yeah. she's like she's one of these uh, songs that you would hear in clubs. And like I said, first video, over a million hits on YouTube. Yeah, well, I mean, like she's got like 999,950 more hits than I ever got. So like she's kind of exactly. awesome. And um, that is like how your show goes. It's It's this amazing sort of flow of of wild shit that's true but it's not it's not like a reality show where it's scripted and it's also not like these guys are um brand are new to the stage either you've been working on them for years and like one thing i was really interested in as far as perry goes is like what is a an average work week like for you for that show there must be a lot of of because so much work goes into it, right? Like, the way you guys are able to... I'm not going to say trick him uh, with things, but you are able to convince him of certain things that well, I'm going to say I don't think are probably true, and he falls for it. Like, how much work goes into that right. each week? Well, you see, you got to remember this. Now, the Perry is different from the Ding Dong show. That just Very to, different. So you don't... Perry yeah. is in... He's on the Big Tree podcast, and like I said, we're trying to do all this. But anyway, the guy Mole and I... Uh, we've been working on that. We've been working with him for over 21 years now. 21 years. So we basically, when you say what goes into it, I try to find out through through things, through people that he talks to, what's going on in his life. So we just kind of script it on that. But for me, right. I edit the show because, you know, 
I have to tighten it up because I, I really believe in the podcast world. I wanted to put out the best product possible. So instead of having a lot of like dead air, I go through and I pick it up, I edit things out, and I make it as tight as I possibly can. And we had like, our goal was always to have it like about an hour and seven minutes. Right. And now I've, it's just, it was becoming impossible because there were things that I just couldn't cut. So it's anywhere between an hour and 10 minutes to an hour and a half. And I edit that down. I take days. And during that, I, I look through and we do follow-up stuff. Okay, he said this here. Right. Let's follow up with this. Right. And it's just, we've been doing it so long, the two of us, that we just know what we can do next. And we just always try to, and it always seems to uh, work. Well, it's amazing we to me. So well. It it drew me in too. Like I I sent in a ten dollars shout out um, a few weeks ago, and it just you you just want to participate. It's so uh, it's so fun fucking with them. It really is. Oh, uh, there's just so many people that just when we had the windy weekend, it was like it was amazing because when you do a podcast, it isn't like when I do stand up. Stand up, I get a reaction right away. Podcast. You know, you'll see people that say things, hey, great show, this, sure. that. But I'm not, you know, you know, there may be 50 to 100 people a week that comment on pictures and things like that and play yeah. along. But you really didn't get it. I mean, we had, in the movie Windy City Heat, it was crazy because we had one take with them because everything in that movie was real. Yeah. And so we had one take. But we knew him so well when we would set up shots for the shoot during the day of the movie, we'd have to have a shot set up the director. We So we'd get in there early and we'd have to go through, okay, this is what we're doing today. Here's how we're going to do it. And because we have some set up bits. And it was funny. Jimmy's cousin, Sal, played Perry in that during our walkthroughs. <laughs> and I mean, Jimmy's biggest regret is, is that he said, I can't believe we didn't record the entire we, we we recorded Sal doing it because it was literally almost word for word what Sal said, but that's how well we knew. So we wrote bits around the fact we knew how Perry would respond to everything. That is because amazing. We, we studied him for over twenty one years, and at the <laughs> time it was you know it was like ten years that we had studied him, so we knew him every, and. There was one thing that didn't work in that entire movie. And it was a scene where, and if you're at all familiar with the movie, yeah. in a scene, we, at the beginning of the movie, we're in a limo. Yeah. And we filmed the scene where the limo gets pulled over. And, in, and we get pulled over by the cop. And I, and I was in the limo with Perry, and I, oh, no. And he says, what? We're okay. And I go, no, 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 I, I don't want him to find this. And I pull up a gun and a bag of weed, like two ounces of weed. And so, and then we had Super Dave Osborne played the cop. And he came up and he was, and I quickly, and he says, well, what's going on? And you guys making one of those rock music videos? No, 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 no. And he, what's that I smell in there? And I said, well, it's either Perry's gun or his weed. And so now he gets arrested. So he goes crazy over that, and that worked perfectly. But then when we get out, you know, 
Super Dave says, well, I can take you in. You'll probably go to jail for a while, or I can give you the paddle. And I think he didn't buy into that. That's the only thing in that movie that did not work. Right. That's But everything else, one take, and it worked to perfection. Yeah, there's nothing else out there like that. I I really have to say, like, people want to support something unique. Support Dawn, because it's it's amazing stuff. And it's... um, I just I can't get enough of it. It's, it's I can't explain to my wife why it drives her nuts, and uh, you know that's just how oh, it is. Why, why do people like reality shows? Exactly because they think it's real. This is real. Everything that I kind of do, the Perry Project, the Ding Dong Show, these people are real. There's no okay. Hey, I want you to do this. Nothing like that at all. I find something that they're talking about. Oh, let's go with that. Right. Oh really? You like you like to fuck your husband with a dildo? Is that true? Oh, I love it. So now that's something I know I can go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, I had one um, sort of. Uh, it's a little more of a boring question, but like my, um, I, like I said before, I'm an apprentice electrician, and I'm a big believer in unions. I'm a union member, and I want to be politically active in my union. And a big part of that is going to be convincing rooms full of grumpy old white journeymen who don't like me to like me. And for you know, you're somebody who's who does that sort of thing for a living. Uh, you know, like you're very charismatic, one of those types of people. Do you have any advice for somebody talking to? a hostile room not in a comedy situation like what what would you say for that well again it's it's like someone was asking me this the other night uh when you go up and how do you get these people you know and i'll tell you something interesting you do something that they feel and i'll tell you and i'll be very honest with you what i always seem to find if you compliment women, because women control the world, women control the situation, right. like if they're in a show, and I'm going from a comedy world, right. and I, I can't exactly visualize what you're talking about, yep. but you know what? If I go up there and I see a woman that's not really looking at me, and you can tell she's kind of bored, uh, boy, I'll tell you something. You might even know this person. I was going to give you an example. Like the other night, just if you even look at my, uh, I don't know, my Instagram, I took a picture with her. Mm-hmm. She was a former Miss New Zealand, but I think she and then went on to become Miss World. And I wow. think that she is a, uh, she, works, she works in Canada now on TV. Uh, I can't even think of her name, but if you look at, but anyway, she was there and I saw her before I went on stage. I saw her, the, the guy she was with, was laughing. I saw her yawning and just completely uninterested. Right. But I went up there and I knew that if I, because if I didn't get her, she was what was going to get the guy to leave. Right. And they had a table of six people. And I think that there were like 20 people in the room at the time. Uh, and what I did is I just was really nice to her. I complimented her. And, uh, and then I find out she was a former Miss World, Miss New Zealand. Right. And she came up there and I, I had, I had her eating out of my hand. <laughs> and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you this real quick. It goes back to this. I was 
one thing that I think a lot of guys, they're very intimidated by incredibly beautiful women. Yeah. Because they just, wow, it's just like you look at them and you just want them to like you so much because, oh, what would it be like just to be around them? Because I'll tell you this, even to hang out with a beautiful woman is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, there's something about beauty that's wonderful to be around. And I worked at a place out here of female, because I had a goal in my life. I said at one point, I will not take a job out in Los Angeles that I don't have a mic in my hand or a camera in my face. Yeah. So I worked at a female mud wrestling place where, I mean, they had incredibly beautiful women. I mean, a lot of these women, and when you think about beautiful women, it's, it's kind of, it was a female mud wrestling place, so it was like a strip club, yeah. even though they weren't new. They were in bikinis and that kind of thing. So it was kind of that environment. But what I found, and these women, like, they were Playboy centerfolds. There was a girl that sure. was like a pet house, uh, pet of the year. Uh, and that's the regulars that were. So that's the type of woman that you were seeing on a regular basis here. Sure. And, and I started, because I worked with them and I was the MC and I, I was the one to make them money. They, they, first of all, they had to be nice to me because I could increase their money. But I started realizing how insecure beautiful women were. Yeah. And I, and I just realized, my, it's tougher for a beautiful woman because she has to stay at that level because her beauty becomes her identity a lot of times. Sure. And, it, and there's a lot of women that are pretty shallow about it. And as they lose their looks... Oh, it's it's worse than anything that could happen to them. Yeah, and if you if you got by, and it's true, people do like they really get by on that when they're beautiful and young. You know, like then it goes away. Like, what do you have left if you're used to that? Right. So, but anyway, uh, so I just think that if you can get in touch with anybody there, and you you, you try to size up audiences, like I said, I don't like doing stand up comedy. I like to control an audience yeah. so I can get them out inside. Because if you learn how to control an audience and learn what people like, you can do that at any point, movies, anything yeah. you want. You know, I, I do audience warm-up, and I literally, I have seconds to get them from, okay, we were just outside waiting in line for an hour and a half, now we're at a show, now we're sitting down, we're in cramped spaces, we're unfamiliar with this. All right, the show starts in 20 minutes. Now laugh. You know? Wow. I've got to take them from that mode and get them to laugh. Now, you say that as an easy job, but I don't think very many people in this world could do it. <laughs> like, you oh, made, I don't. Like, yeah, that sounds like like two hours of hell each day. Well, I go, I, I, I'll tell you, when I first did it, uh, you know, I it would just be the most strenuous thing because... Here's a job that pays a lot of freaking money. I mean, yeah. a lot of money. And so I wanted to do this because it was like, it was perfect. I could, I could work on my projects. I could do what I could have a roof over my head by doing these TV warmups. And a lot of these shows, now I'm working four days a week, eight hours a week total. Wow. Four days a week. Nice. Eight hours. Yeah. Nice. So the rest <laughs> of the time is where I do stand up and I work on my projects. But before I had these jobs, that would do that for these network shows, like these sitcoms, right. that would that would pay you enough to work one day a week. Right. So the 
businesses, and you could lose a job just by a producer not liking you. So I remember going there, and like I remember asking one guy who did it all the time, how do you do it? I said, you know, how do you do this? And it's just, it's a lesson for anything. Just be over-prepared. Right, right. And is it... So many things... Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no. Um, I was just going to say, is it really, like, it seems to me it's about those first few seconds, too. Like, that first impression you make when you get up there. Oh. You got to get them right there. They say in, when you go on stage in comedy, they say the first 30 seconds an audience looks at you and they make a judgment if they want to listen to you. You can try to get them back, but that first 30 seconds is really hard. Yeah. Especially, and the reason I like to go up late at night because you're dealing with people that when you go up there, they're ready to go home. I'm going up there at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, and these people are tired, and they've been there two or three hours. Right. So I've got 30 seconds to make sure they stay there. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that, a lot of that's important. And, and how do you do it? You got to figure it out yourself. Sure. You but really... that's useful, man. No, like that going, reading your room, you know, figuring out who's there. That's like, for me, it's I'm, I want to organize workers. And these guys are, you know, old guys who don't want to, to listen to the new guy. But I think, you know, um, going for something that they care deeply about to start with would be the way to do that. That's not, that's cool, man. I appreciate right. that. Um, so well, the, listen, let me let me say this. Let me just say this. I, yeah. I'll, I, I just, I, I got to get going in a second. Oh, absolutely, I, man. I got But I wanted to push my fun anything. We're doing it on tomorrow's day. We're doing a, a big Mary Jane birthday thing. We're asking everybody who's a fan to send at least $5, if not more, so we can get the final total up so we can make this pilot. That's funanything.com, campaign name, the big three projects. If you're in town, I'm at the comedy store every single night. I go on late. Come by and see me. Uh, I'm at Jimmy Kimmel Live every day. So if you want to go there, see me there. And on Monday, go to the uh, Death Squad uh, podcast taping of uh, the Ding Dong Show. And before that, kill Tony. And, and also... I kind of cut you off, so is there anything oh. you'd like to say before I oh, cut out? No problem, Don. No, I was just going to say, um, you are also uh, definitely worth following on Twitter at SimplyDon1. That's the number one, SimplyDon1. And also uh, Don Barris right. on Facebook. And um, just to sort of uh, tie everything together and um, end with a question about your cock, um, is it hard fending off all the porn offers and uh, attacks from random women and stuff? I got to tell you this. The two things, uh, I have a long tongue. And I got to do a, a warm up of video for Kiss, and I got and I can't find it anymore. But I got a chance to sh- have my tongue out with Gene Simmons, and it was a great picture. Uh, but and you you don't play fair. You start out with the cock question, you end with the cock question. I like your style. Hey, by the way, Owen, do yeah. me a favor. Yeah. L- let me get a copy of this. So keep in contact with me. Let me get a copy of this, okay? Absolutely, dude. No problem at all. All right. All right, thank you so much, Don. Uh, it means uh, the world that you were willing to talk to me and also that I got to talk to Mary Jane. That's so exciting. You will say goodbye to Mary Jane then. Bye, Mary Jane. Happy birthday again. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Have a lovely day. You too. Bye, Owen. Bye. We'll talk talk later. to you later. Thanks. See Bye. ya. So that's uh, that's that. 
Um, I'm really amazed by them coming on the show. That was fantastic. And I just want to say again, people, um, if you can, if you would, uh, donate some money, um, to that fund, anything account, uh, in the name of tastes like fried chicken or, or let them know, uh, you heard him on this show. And even if you can't donate, you know, letting people that, that you enjoy on our show know that you heard them through us makes, uh, makes them talk to their friends whom you, we might want to get on the show. You know, it makes, it makes, uh, it really is a huge thing you could do to help us if you felt like it and it wouldn't cost anything tweet at him, uh, or at anybody you hear on the show that you enjoy. Uh, the music tonight is going to be from decisive, uh, the album vaudeville. I've played a few tracks off it already, but, uh, it's, uh, really, I've been really enjoying it. I have to tell you. And this one never knew me. Uh, I find particularly catchy. So, uh, yeah, let them know too. Uh, Fresh kills on Twitter and anyway, um, I'm babbling because I still cannot believe I just fucking talked to them and it was so great. Fuck what nice people! Can you believe somebody who like toured with Dice would take the time to talk to me for like an hour and ten minutes about his life and ah, blown away. Thank you so much, Don and Mary Jane and um. Here's some music for you. Uh, fuck, did I ever dork it up without Chill being here, eh? I can't wait for her to come back. I miss her. Shout out to Chill. Love you. Uh, here's some music. Oh, yeah, shit. I haven't been able to say this in a long time, but we are sponsored by www.peterdiamond.ca. Check out his art. It's beautiful stuff. And, um, yeah, here's the song. Bust it. <laughs> Smack gate, wind up, throw shit at the fan blade. Hoping I'll take a swing like a batting cage. I'm cool, smoking a pancake. I knew that you take the low road, too slow to merge on the fast lane. The tortoise with spokes and a sports card. Flick, flick, revved up with no cars. Swift, swift for dirt off my shoulder. Rear view, so gone and so far. You, you, frozen, a street sign, waiting for the green light. You turn, my friend, because. In LA, too soon? Fuck it, let's proceed. Two roots continue to row C K E dollar sign, ha ha, fake gaga, baby talk. 
get it The telephone's ringing, but you won't get it, hello I said I'm no Lionel and you're no blind girl Got me all wrong, got me all wrong Time to jog back to the drawing board And sharpen your pencil crayon tips Pardon my French and français too Shut the fuck up, ferme la bouche As for me to say just how You didn't know me then so you could never know me now You never knew me anyway So save your hellos and goodbye for the rest of my life You never knew me anyway So save your hellos and goodbye for the rest of my life You never knew me anyway So save your hellos and goodbye for the rest of my life You never knew me anyway So save your hellos A deeper voice can open the door to opportunity.